Good morning. morning. Hey, let me just say something about Serve Sunday. Please don't take that Sunday off. I know you're all crazy busy, and I know the idea of working on a Sunday is probably not what, what you love to do, but we're not working. We're worshiping through service, right? And it's not your project. It's not like you're doing work at your house. You're doing work for someone else. So you just have to show up and do what you're told, right? It's a lot less stressful. So we do need you to sign up, though. You can do it online. Um, you can do it over here, fill it out. So we kind of know we have, uh, there's 75 people that need to go to Kig's Kingdom for mulch and paint. And we've got a bunch of different projects all around. It'll really help us to have a number of who, who's ready to go where. So please sign up for that. Please show up. I think it will be really good. I just prayed this morning that, my prayer for, for our church is that people don't just come and sit next to one another and hear me talk or Wes talk or Seth talk. My prayer is that you actually develop friendships with people that you're sitting next to. And Serve Sunday will be an incredibly, incredibly good opportunity for you to develop some more of those friendships and get to know and build relationships with people. If you want to grow close to God, you need to grow relationships with people that you worship with. And if you don't do that, then it's just another service that you go to and it's probably not going to do a whole lot as far as transformation goes because God has chosen to work through his people primarily. So that's my spiel about Serve Sunday. It's not a Sunday off. We're going to worship through service rather than through song. Show up, we'll have breakfast, it'll be good. We'll go out. But we are starting a new, serv- uh, a new sermon series today. I've entitled it Sabbath. That's probably a foreign word to some of you. That's okay. We'll unpack what it means. And I'm, I'm doing this because there is a pandemic that is sweeping through the West and our culture. And we're familiar with pandemics, right? We're familiar with COVID. I'm so sick of COVID. I'm so sick of talking about COVID. I've like muted. You can mute all your news feeds. If it has COVID in it, I mute it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to talk about it. I'm tired of going to Subway and not being able to sit down and eat a sub because of COVID, right? It's like, seriously, come on. I'm tired of going to Menards and trying to buy some, some lumber. It's like, why does this cost seven times more than what it did a year ago? COVID, right? I'm sick of it. We know something about pandemics, don't we? We do. They stink. And COVID was and is a nasty one. But COVID is not the only pandemic problem that we face, church. In fact, I believe that there is something far more dangerous, far more destructive than the COVID-19 virus that is running amok in our culture. The pandemic that I'm speaking of is the pandemic of distraction and busyness. I believe that you and I are being distracted to death, at least to depression. We are being distracted to depression and to death. Digital distractions, right? Our phones, the constant notifications that are pinging all the time, vying for your attention. The deceitfulness of wealth, the American dream. Those of you who have a house, you do a project, you know, you don't check them off, right? You check one off, it's like whack-a-mole and three more things pop up. Oh, I need this, right? The deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things. The Bible calls this the worries of this life are choking out the life of Christians and non-Christians alike. Digital distractions, the deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, the worries of this life have turned up the speed on the treadmill of life. It's turned up the the pace and and pressure of our lives so that we feel an almost constant sense of urgency, a a low hum of anxiety in our lives. We live hurried through most moments of our life. We're running faster and faster, doing more than ever as a culture. We are productive, efficient. 
but it doesn't seem to make to be making our ability to enjoy life any better. In fact, this frantic-paced, always plugged-in life seems to be doing just the opposite. I'm reading a book right now. I've got like three chapters left, and I recommend it to you highly. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. If you pick up a copy of this and read it in conjunction with the sermon series, you will be blessed. It's written by a guy named Mark Comer. And in there, Mark Comer points out that Americans are working four more weeks per year than we did in 1979, right? We've turned up the speed on the treadmill. Where are we going? Where are we going? I don't know. We're just running faster. If you look, click on the footnote when he explains this, he cites some, uh, some news article that says, Americans work not just four more weeks a year than we did in 1979. We work 137 more hours than the Japanese do every year. We work 260 hours, those of you who are bad at math like me, that's six and a half weeks. We work six and a half weeks more than the British do every single year. And I don't know what the French are doing, right? Apparently not much. (laughs) Apparently not much. They must all be school teachers, which you guys work hard during the nine months. I'm not, that's not a slam. That's not a slam. You do, but the French... We work 499 hours more than the French every single year. That's three months. Amen. Let's go, right? Good grief. It's a sabbatical every summer. That'd be amazing. Good stuff. This is our problem. We're running on a treadmill. We work more than literally any other country in our world. In our world. We hurry around, try to be productive and efficient. And it's not just with our work. That's the issue. This hurried pace of work we carry with us into every other area of our lives. We fill our schedules to the brim with all sorts of things. Sports and activities, shows and movies, shopping, whether it's on Amazon or in the mall, phone scrolling, just we got a free second, right? You can't even go to the bathroom without looking at your phone anymore. You know you do it. We all do it, right? You forgot your phone. What are you going to do, right? Nobody puts a magazine behind there anymore. (laughs) We fill our lives with so much stuff, moving from one event to the next at a breakneck speed and efficiency with no margin for anything. We don't have a margin for meal together. I read online this week, 30% of Americans regularly eat around a dinner table as a family. 30%. 30%. We move too fast with no margin. We can't even sit down and eat together, let alone make time for a relationship with our church friends and family, a relationship with God. Who has time for relational connection these days? Who has time for love? Love is patient, all right? Love is patient. It's incredibly inefficient. Who has time for patience these days? We're all in a hurry, but to where and for what? We have more time-saving devices than ever. Think about like dishwashers and washing machines. You have to do this with the laundry, right? That would be crazy. Robot lawnmowers, which I'm trying to talk my wife into letting me buy. (laughs) She's not having it. It'd be awesome, right? We have all these time-saving devices You ask anybody, right? Say someone picks up one of those new lawnmowers. You ask how they're doing. Nobody says, great, I just bought a robot to mow my lawn. I have so much time on my hands, right? Nobody says that. 
What do they say? How you doing? Fine, just busy. I'm fine. I'm just busy going to this thing, that thing. Folks, has anyone ever stopped to ask what we're actually getting from all of this speed and so-called efficiency that's promised by our digital world? What are we actually getting from all of this extra work and our hurried pace of life? Sure, we can buy whatever we want, whenever we want, and have it shipped to our house in a day. Who cares? We are crazy efficient. But what are we getting for this fast-paced, always plugged-in, hurried way of life? You would think that we'd have all of this free time and enjoy being with other people, right? We're not. Again, in his book, John Mark Comer, he says, ten times as many people in the Western nations... Ten times as many people in Western nations today suffer from depression or unremitting bad feelings without a specific cause than did half a century ago. We're not getting better. We're getting worse and more unhealthy. Americans and Europeans have ever more of everything except happiness, it seems. And it gets worse. Not only is all of this hurrying around making us more stressed out and anxious and on the edge, right? How patient are you with your kids when you're hurrying, you're late to something? Probably not. Not only is all of this hurrying, hurrying around making us quick to snap at our coworkers and spouses and children, our crazy busy lifestyles are stealing the abundant life in God that Jesus died to give us. Folks, if I asked you right now, when's the last time you heard from God? When's the last time you truly sensed his presence in your life? I imagine a few of you might have something to say, but my guess is that the majority of you would be struggling to find words. My bet is we'd hear mostly crickets. And I don't say that because I think this room is filled with a bunch of unbelievers or people who don't care about God or want to love him. I don't believe that. Here's what I do think. It's what Comer says in his book. He says, We, for every kind of reason, good, bad, good and bad, are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. It's not that we have anything against God and deep relationships or with the Holy Spirit. We would love to grow in these areas closer to God and his people. It's not that we don't want that, but it's that we're too habitually preoccupied to have any of these things show up on our radar screens. Comer says we're more busy than bad, we're more distracted than non-spiritual, and we're more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium, and the shopping mall, and the fantasy world that these things produce in us than we are in having a genuine relationship with God and his people. For many of us, the great danger is not that we will renounce our faith, it's that we will become so distracted rushed and preoccupied, preoccupied that we settle for a mediocre version of it. We will just skim over our lives rather than actually being present in them and living them. You see, church, there is a pandemic far more dangerous than COVID running amok in our world. The digitally distracted life of speed, hurry, and busyness is the greatest threat to the spiritual life that we face in our modern world. And I can't help but wonder if Jesus would say to our entire generation what he said to Martha. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. We're going to look at a story about two sisters here, and I have a love-hate relationship with it. 
It's the story of Mary and Martha. When this story gets told, oftentimes we start talking about personality traits, right? And Mary gets labeled as the type A personality. She's the go-getter. She gets things done. She's driven, right? The type A. And then, then Mary, we just, I don't know what she gets labeled as. It's the, it's the other label that the type A personalities usually just call lazy, right? Whatever that, that is. Or if we're feeling more Christian than that, we might say she's artistic, right? <laughs> Whatever that is. See, typically when we talk about this story, we talk about personality types. Not only is that not helpful, I don't think it's biblical. You see, we don't know what personality types either of these, women's are, either these women are. Mary may have been just as to-do driven as Martha, maybe even more so. Maybe Martha's so frantic and crazy because she's super unorganized, and so she's spinning her wheels and going crazy because she, she didn't do the work ahead of time that she needed to do. We're not told what their personality types are because this has nothing to do with what your personality type is. Jesus' words of wisdom here apply equally no matter what your letters are in the Myers-Briggs, right? You might be an ENTJ or you might be a J-E-R-K like me. (laughs) That spells jerk for those of you a little slow with the spelling thing. I just illustrated why why I have that, right? J-E-R-K. You might be thinking, okay, you're talking about Mary and Martha. I kind of know those names, but I don't really know the story. What are you talking about, Levi? Well, I want to read it together with you. And as we read it, I want you to receive the invitation that Christ is extending you to this morning. I do not want anybody to leave here with a legalistic rule book of a bunch of to-dos and, and how to get closer to Jesus. That is not going to bless you, right? You don't need more to do. That's not what, what I'm going to set before you. What I'm going to set before you is an invitation, is an invitation to slow down and take upon the the light and easy yoke of Jesus this morning. You see, Jesus tells us what this invitation is in Matthew 11, 28, and he's illustrating for us here in Luke, practically. His invitation is this. He says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. My yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give to you is light. Folks, do you find it interesting that Jesus' solution to your weariness and exhaustion and burdened soul is to give you an, an instrument of work? That's what a yoke is, right? Wouldn't you expect that worried, overworked, exhausted people, wouldn't you expect that they need a vacation? Maybe a mattress? Something other than a yoke, to be sure, right? I love this. You see, so many of us are looking for an escape to this light. We're worried. We're burdened. We are worn out. And we are looking for a place to find rest. And we hurry through life to try and find that rest. If I could just hurry up and get to the end of the day where I could get to my Netflix subscription, then I could rest. If I could just get to my chair, if I could just hurry up and get to the end of the day, and then I could get to the wine in my fridge. If I could just hurry up and and get my kids out of this stage of life, if I could just hurry up and get to the weekend, if I could just hurry up and get to vacation, if I could hurry up and save enough and retire early, then I could breathe a sigh of relief. Then I could escape from all of this restlessness, this anxiety, this lack of peace that I constantly feel. Then I could escape. The problem with that mentality is, church, there is no escape. There is no escape from the fallen life that you and I were born into. And Jesus knows this. 
He knows we cannot escape the harsh and hard realities of life. And so he doesn't offer to you and I an escape because there isn't one. Rather, what he offers to us is equipment. Equipment, a new yoke, a better yoke, equipment for farming and cultivating. Jesus knows the most restful gift that he can give to the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. This is the way of Jesus. It's the the way of his yoke, his teachings, and more than that, it's his person that he's offering to us. And if you and I will, will, will learn to walk with him in his way, his yoke will develop in us a balance and a new way of life, a new way to be human, a new way to carry the burdens of life that will give us far more rest than anything else that the world is offering to us. And this invitation, the invitation to a new yoke, the invitation for a new way to be human, is the invitation that he extends to Martha in our text this morning, and it's the invitation that he extends to you and I. So let's read it together. Picking up in Luke 10, Luke 10, verse 38. Jesus says this. He says, Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's table, or sat at the Lord's feet, and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And he went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. Folks, I love the Bible. There's only five verses, and it is loaded with so much gold and wisdom. Let me paint the picture for you a little bit so we can enter into the emotions that Mary is feeling. Jesus is by now a very well-known teacher in the land. He's developed quite a following. He's been healing people. He's been saying some very tweetable things as of late, right? He's, he's trending on Twitter, hashtag Jesus, right? He's got the blue check mark. The people of power are talking about him. Some love him. Some are deeply offended by him. He's not only a popular figure, he's a very polarizing figure as well. He's got an entourage that travels with him. When he shows up to town, he shows up with a following. There are always at least 12 guys with him, usually more. Crowds flock to him. He's also claimed to be God a few times. He's been doing miracles, healing the blind, healing that incurable cancer called leprosy. He's even said to have fed thousands of people on multiple occasions with a Lunchable, right? Five loaves and two fish. This guy, Jesus, imagine that he shows up to your house unannounced with his crew. He begins to teach. Crowd of people just show up, and hospitality is the name of the game in this culture. It's more than rude to have people over and not make sure that they are well cared for and well fed. It will bring shame on you and your family if you don't do a good job at this. There is always pressure to be a good host, especially in this culture. Even more so when a famous rabbi and miracle worker shows up unplanned. Imagine how that would make you feel. You probably don't have to think that hard about it. I think a lot of us wake up with the feeling Martha was feeling in this moment. I think a lot of us wake up with this feeling almost every morning. You know the feeling. You wake up from a fitful night of sleep. 
feel tired, exhausted, and a sense of urgency just smacks you across the face. Sense of hurry, a quickening in your heart, a pit in your stomach. Your mind begins to race as you think about everything that needs to get done today. The kids need dropped off. Dinner needs to be made. Groceries need to be bought for that dinner. Is there even enough money in the bank account for groceries? The boss has four things he needs you to do, and they needed to be done yesterday, right? The laundry needs doing. The lawn needs mowed, unless you got a robot. <laughs> Employees, <laughs> bills, right? To-dos, so many to-dos. Not enough hours in the day to get it all done. Surely not enough hours in the day to sit down and spend some time with Jesus. You get out your phone, you pull up the Bible app. I'll pull up the, the verse of the day real quick. Read it for two minutes. All right, get on to the next thing. Let's go. Kids, get dressed, right? I told you to get your socks and your, and your shoes. How many times have I told you? This might not be super hypothetical anymore. Might be talking about my life, right? We need, to, we need to leave. We need to leave five minutes ago. What's wrong with you? Go do this, do that. You're barking out orders in a very less than patient manner. Like, Dad, I didn't even breakfast. That's your fault. Grab a Pop-Tart. Can I toast it? No, we don't have time for that, right? You pull out the, the instruction box for the Pop-Tart. Throw it in the microwave. For how long? There's instructions on the Pop-Tart box that says how to microwave a Pop-Tart. Three seconds. Three seconds. That is amazing to me that that's even published on a box. It's funny, but also, what does that say about our culture? Pop-Tarts are, like, super easy and quick. I mean, it's like 30 seconds. We don't even have enough time in our schedule to toast a Pop-Tart? How sad is that? Folks, this is Martha. Jesus shows up unplanned in her life, and she goes into serve mode, into hurried efficiency mode, and our culture praises this. They cultivate this in us. Every boss wants a Martha. They get stuff done, but they do so at the expense of their peace and their sanity. Martha's burn hot and fast, like a shooting star, and then they burn out. And folks, that is not what Jesus has for you or for me. I find this story so incredibly ironic and incredibly convicting on a personal level. As I was studying this passage, thinking about what's going on here, I had a ton of judgment for Martha when I first read it. I mean, who wouldn't, who wouldn't, what, what, what wouldn't you give to have Jesus in your home? God in the flesh, sit down and have a meal with you. She has that. Jesus has showed up and he has come to teach in her living room. He is speaking. What wouldn't you give to have that? What wouldn't you give to hear from God specifically in your life? to speak with you. Jesus is speaking in Martha's living room, I'm sure laying down gold and wisdom. And Martha storms into this room frustrated and angry, and she interrupts God. Excuse me. Excuse me, Jesus. I got something I have to say. Be quiet, right? She tells God to be quiet. I got to get this off my chest, she says. I've been slaving away over here, trying to get dinner for this crowd of hooligans that you brought, Jesus. Phone call would have been nice. Maybe call ahead next time, right? I've been slaving away, working for you. I've been doing work for you, Jesus. And my sister is in here just listening to you. Folks, who does this woman think she is? 
Here God is trying to have a conversation with his people. And Martha comes speeding into his presence with no time to listen to what God has to say. Rather, she comes with her own list demands and frustrations, telling God what he needs to do and what he needs to think and how he needs to be barking orders. Who does this woman think she is? That was my thought process. And as I prayed through that, the small, still, gentle voice of the Holy Spirit pricked my conscience and basically said, Levi, you do this. You do this. I try to speak with you. I'm always speaking. But so many times, you speed into my presence if you actually make time to sit with me. You speed into my presence with a list of frustrations and demands, which I'm happy to hear. But you always leave before I can ever get a word in edgewise. Folks, I'm Martha. Maybe you are too. Three months ago, I was confessing my frustration with a pastor friend of mine, Justin, down at the Wave in Deschler. I was telling him, I feel like, Justin, I feel like I'm doing more for God now than I have. I'm busy. I've got a bunch of stuff to do. We're doing building projects, all this stuff, just like everyone else, four kids, all of this. I feel like I'm doing all of this stuff now for God, and yet I don't feel like I can hear his voice. And I'm mad about it. God said in his word, my sheep know my voice. I've been praying to God. God, you said, my sheep know my voice. Why don't I hear you? What the heck? What's going on? I said this to Justin. He said, Levi, God is always speaking. Have you ever asked yourself, if you stop long enough from all you're doing for him, to actually listen to what he might be saying to you? Folks, I've been thinking about what Justin told me for the last four months. Honestly, it's what's inspired this sermon series today. It's the word that pointed me to the story of Martha. Think about Martha and what she's distracted with. It's serving God. She's distracted about feeding people. She comes into God's presence. The God is, who is in the middle of speaking, and she interrupts him with concerns about dinner. This is the man, again, who just fed over 10,000 men, women, and children with a Lunchable. Right? How ironic is that? She's too distracted to remember who her God is. She's too distracted to notice who it is that's desiring to speak with her. Folks, Jesus spoke through Justin that day to me. Martha, Levi, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Folks, this sermon series, this series is for me. I hope it blesses you. I hope you can learn along, along with me. About four months ago, I started to get more serious about practicing some of the things that I'm going to teach you, and Wes and, and Nate Hamlin, are, we're going to teach you over these several weeks I've been practicing some of these habits, the holy habits, spiritual discipline, slowing down my pace, walking with Jesus, and slowly but surely, my life is changing for the better. I'm beginning to be more patient, more present in my family. My kids are having to ask me the same question less times because I'm not constantly staring at my phone. I'm not there yet, but I'm still doing it. I'm working. I'm experiencing more patience with my wife and children. I'm experiencing less anxiety in my heart. And honestly, when the waves of worry hit me, I'm able to get back to a place of peace more quickly than I was before. 
I'll be honest, there's nothing groundbreaking in what we're going to talk about. Nothing new. In fact, most of the practices and habits are ancient. They've been time-tested by the saints for the last 2,000 years. We just need to make time for them in our own lives. My hope and prayer is that you will discover what Mary knew. Jesus Christ is alive and he wants to speak with you. There are many things in this life that trouble us and bring anxiety, but only one thing is necessary, that we learn to sit at the feet of Jesus, that we slow down long enough to listen to what God wants to tell us. And if we will make time for that relationship, a real relationship of love, where we speak and we listen and God speaks and he listens to us, we will come to know the peace of God which transcends all understanding and we won't be working to try and find rest. We will be working from a place of rest in our God. Folks, there is a lot of noise in our world. And in all of that noise, there is a danger of becoming distracted by any number of things. Some of them are good, some of them not so good, whether it's our, our phones or my stage of life right now, another poopy diaper, right? Another work dilemma. We are in danger of being distracted with much serving. That's why I love the ESV here. She was distracted with much serving. And if we're not careful, we will be swept up into this frantic pace of life, hurrying from one thing to the next, living under the tyranny of the urgent, anxious, frustrated, and unable to hear from our God. This is the way and the speed of the world. But this, folks, is not the way or the yoke of Jesus. It's not the way of rest. See, Jesus does not move at the speed of fighter jets or internet bandwidth. Jesus moves at the speed of three miles an hour. He moves at the speed of a walk by the river or in the woods. He moves at the speed of love and relationship. It's not efficient, but it is easy and it is light and it is a far more enjoyable pace at which to live. He wants to walk with you, church. Will you slow down enough to walk with him? In Isaiah, it says, we will run and not grow weary. We will walk and not be faint. I always thought the progression of that was incredibly convicting. You start off, you'll rise on wings like eagles, you'll soar. You'll run and not grow weary. And at the end, when you're the most mature, you will learn to slow down and walk with Jesus through life. If you learn to walk with Jesus, I guarantee you that you will live with less anxiety, with more joy, and more peace. And my hope and prayer is to teach you how to walk with Jesus throughout this series. So what do you say? Let's learn the unforced rhythms of grace together. I love that phrase. It comes from Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of Jesus' invitation. Eugene paraphrases Jesus' invitation in Matthew 11 like this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly.
Lord Jesus, make it so. Let's pray. Father God, we confess we are distracted people. Some of us are distracted with sinful things, but most of us are distracted with too many good things, Lord. TV shows and sports and social media and email and all of this stuff that's incredibly helpful has a way of worming itself into our lives and distracting us from the one thing that is needed. Presence. Presence with you, to hear from you, to receive from you the agenda for our day, to receive guidance for every moment as we live, presence with the people and and family in our lives, Lord. I pray as we move through this series, you would teach us to be just as present as Jesus was in his life, Lord. He was always on mission, but he was never in a hurry never impatient with anyone who interrupted him, even when he was out in the wilderness trying to find some peace and quiet, and the crowds came and said, hey, we've been looking for you. He doesn't rebuke them. He doesn't respond with impatience. He patiently is able to meet them where they're at and to be present in their time of need and to do so in a non-anxious way. Lord Jesus, your way, man, I want it. I want to live like you with my family, with this church, with our friends. Teach us, Lord, to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. Help us to take on the yoke of Jesus. Teach us to walk with him and learn to live those unforced rhythms of grace. Do this in us for our joy and your glory. We pray. Amen.